Nicholas Bornois of Capitaling, I just wanted to welcome you uh, to another great panel on the LPG sector. We have with us uh, Ben Nolan from Stifel, who is going to moderate the panel. And uh, uh, Ben is going to introduce our panelists. We have uh, four, uh, four great panelists with us, four great companies. Thank you to all of you for joining. And uh, Ben, the floor is yours. John, Oivin, Harry, and Oishin, thank you very much. Great, and thank you, Nicholas. Uh, as always, I appreciate the opportunity to uh, uh, to do this. And this is, uh, you know, in shipping, either you're, uh, you're popular, as is the case at the moment, or nobody ever wants to see you, which I think I am certainly familiar with. Uh, at the moment, we're popular uh, in, in almost all categories. And that includes LPG, which is probably the one of the smaller uh, subsectors, but uh, certainly things are happening um, as has been discussed in the conference today already. Uh, and, and I think as we'll begin with, Russia has um, major implications for all things energy, and that certainly includes uh, LPG. Um, and you know, at the same time, oil prices are high and there's read-throughs there. Um, but we'll dive into all that. Super excited to have uh, the panel because I, I, in, in this particular case, I think maybe more than any of the other panels I've been on is like LPG, this one is diverse. So we've got the big VLGCs represented uh, by John and Dorian and Oystein with Avance. Uh, we've got sort of the medium-sized specialty vessels uh, with Oyvind and Navigator. Uh, and, then, and then Harry has some of the smaller pressurized and feeder ships. So really the whole spectrum of, uh, of LPG shipping or very close to it represented here today. Uh, so I, I think uh, hopefully we can cover a lot of ground and the sooner I stop talking, uh, the more ground that we can cover. So um, so I'll stop there. Well, uh, uh, that, that was a, a, a poultry introduction. I probably should do you guys justice and, and maybe we'll, we'll have you each give a little introduction to your own company that way. Uh, you, you can do better with it than I did. But uh, John, how about you? A few seconds on on Dorian, and then and then we'll go hoisting Harry and Dorian. We operate uh, twenty one VLGCs at Dorian uh, LPG, and uh, we have we operate a pool as well called the Helios LPG pool, and uh, we operate there about thirty ships, which is a collaboration with uh, MOL. Um, and um, uh, we have a uh, corporate headquarters where I sit in Connecticut with commercial department in Denmark and uh, the technical operations and marine in Greece. Uh, we've been uh, public since 2014 and, uh, uh, and we trade in the New York Stock Exchange. I Yes, okay, thank you. Um, I'm Östan Kalleklev, Executive Chairman of Avance Gas. Uh, we are also a VLGC player, i.e. The, the big LPG ships. Uh, we have 14 on the water. Uh, we announced a, a sale of one of our older ships uh, last week, so we, we have sold uh, two ships recently, and we also taken delivery of two new builds this year with LPG propulsion so it's a bit uh, similar to LNG ships where you are eating off the cargo part of the cargo you consume as fuel which is uh, of course a much more environmental friendly fuel to consume and and then we also have four more of these uh, dual fuel VLGCs for delivery 
the next uh, 18 months. Uh, we are listed on Oslo Stock Exchange, uh, ticker AGAS. I'm the founder and CEO of uh, Stealth Gas. We've been listed in the, on the NASDAQ since 2005. We operate and own 45 uh, gas carriers of uh, 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 pressurized ships, 22K SEMREF ships, and MGCs. Um, and our ticker symbol is uh, GASS. Great. Hello, Arden. Yeah, hello, everyone. So, Navigator, we, we sit kind of in the middle uh, of the VLGCs and uh, what uh, Harry's core business is. We specialize in ethylene and ethane shipping and semi-refrigerant capability. Uh, so slightly, slightly different. We also have a joint venture with an enterprise product partners with the world largest ethylene export terminal in the US. So we're linking infrastructure with the maritime side of Navigator. And I'm sure we're gonna go get into the, the, the positives of that later on. And we've been listed on NYSE uh, with the ticker NVGS since 2013. And looking forward to the, the questions, uh, Ben. All right, well, um, let's start with the topic du jour and certainly uh, um, I think the thing that would be at, at the forefront of most people's minds these days. Um, how does, uh, well, first of all, let's start with how involved or how big of a player is Russia and Ukraine within the LPG space uh, and in, in just in terms of trying to get a sense of what the disruptions might look like. And then after we sort of have a handle on their, their presence, we'll talk about maybe some of the read-throughs uh, of, uh, of, of what's happening in the market at the moment. So uh, I don't know, um, any, any takers on, uh, on, on that first topic with Russia's presence? Now? Well, uh, Ben, can I take the floor? Uh, sure, yeah, for please do. Um, uh, I checked on uh, Waterborne, and uh, I see that the experts from Russia, uh, from both uh, Baltic and the Black Sea ports, were 2,900,000 tons in 2019, uh, 1,300,000 tons in 2020, and 680,000 in 2021, uh, which shows that there is a declining shipborne uh, product coming out of Russia uh, in, uh, in the last few years. Presumably, uh, some product has been going by pipe uh, rather than by ship, and that's why there has been a decline. Uh, uh, so I, I, I think as a part, percentage of the whole uh, market, which is over 100 million tons, this represents about 1% to 2% of the entire shipborne um, LPG uh, capacity. So I don't think it is a significant amount. I think I can concur with that. Uh, Europe last year, so not from the Black Sea, but European import of Russian gas was about one and a half million tons, but 1.25 of that was on rail. So on the shipping side, from the Baltic and to Europe is minuscule with uh, John's, John's comment about uh, 100 and you know, plus million tons of seaborne. So, so purely maritime 
on the LPG side, at least Europe, it's quite small. But of course, there's other ripple effects which are more dramatic. Right. So let's let's stick with that uh, for the moment, and let's say, as you said, or even 1.5 million tons if you include both the 600,000 that's being exported by sea, and then the the other two thirds that moved by rail. Um, if that were to stop, if uh, if both rail and seaborne volumes were to go away, is there sufficient excess capacity? Is there another million and a half tons of underutilized LPG capa export capacity that could serve or, or step up uh, to, to meet the demand of your um, in particular for, uh, for LPG or, or are we pretty close to full capacity as is the case, let's say with, with LNG, right? Everybody's running as hard as they possibly can. Any, any thoughts there? I think, I think the US will play a role here. They can turn on the taps on the LPG side. The Europeans have a problem, right? I mean, the energy is being shut off from, from the East. So they have to find a solution as a substitute. And even on handy size ships, so four times as small as uh, the VLGCs, we see an increasing demand or at least cargo quotes from the US East Coast to Europe. Also from Algeria to Europe. So it's the, it's the classic uh, uh, situation whereby if your closest supplier is unavailable, you go to the second closest or the third closest. But US will rise up to the challenge and provide the Europeans with the energy that they need. LPG perhaps a bit easier than LNG, but the capacity I believe is there. If not, it'll come. And to complement what he was talking about, even uh, that there are uh, receiving installations, terminals that can take quite a lot of LPG. So the the the, the ability to receive the product is well um, available everywhere in Europe. There's no shortage of of, of that. Uh, so the terminals are there. I think it could be easily be ramped up uh, where uh, from the smaller ships to the bigger ships, they can go and, and deliver the LPG that is needed. Actually, we had a ship delivering uh, cargo to Brunsbattel in Germany um, just last week, a few days ago. And they said, thank you for coming. Our tanks were empty here. We need all the cargo we can get. Uh, we, you know, we were discharging about uh, uh, 25,000 tons and uh, they were thankful for having that uh, product there, the LPG product that is. So there is plenty of ability to receive a lot of cargo in all around Europe. I would like to, to, to say a comment that I think the effect is mostly felt on the ammonia uh, exports as uh, Ukraine and Russia are very important uh, markets uh, for ammonia. The majority of the ammonia is transported on, on MGCs, uh, LGCs in a, in, a, in a lesser extent. And uh, last year, uh, 4.1 million tons was exported from Russia and about half a million from uh, Ukraine. And uh, Russian tons were moved by, by pipeline and train 
through uh, Ukraine. So that's a small addition to what we're talking about. Yeah, no, that's good color and, and not something that I had I had seen uh, just in terms of that order of magnitude. So, uh, and, and, you know, we don't really have much. Uh, there's a little bit of uh, medium-sized gas carrier exposure here, but not a whole lot of ammonia um, specific. But uh, we'll we'll maybe circle back around. I appreciate that color here because we'll, we'll circle back around to ammonia in a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. I, I uh, was in one of if you had, I knew you were going to make a comment there. Uh, yeah, no, I think I, I agree with John. You know, I, my numbers is uh, Russian seaborne LPG transport is like a million tons. So it's about 1% of the market, and most is by rather rail and, and, and pipeline. So and the LPG market this year is expecting to grow about 5%, which is like more than 5 million tons. So I, I do think it's feasible to cover this. I think it's more a problem at the refineries. You know, if you have shutdowns of, of crude oil from Russia and a lot of the LPG supply in, in Europe is from the refineries. And certainly if the refineries in Europe are, are <laughs> reducing their utilization levels to compensate for the lack of crude access, that could have uh, some major, some, some bigger implication on the LPG market in Europe. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Yeah, I think we'll we'll get to the uh, where where those replacement volumes come from in a minute, but it's uh, I, I think extremely um, um, topical and, and and clearly tied. But before we finish on it, uh, Harry, again, I appreciate you bringing up the ammonia side. Uh, are there any other implications as it relates to some of the other petrochemical gases? Uh, I know that is is something that probably Harry and, and Oivin are a little bit more exposed to, be it, you know, butadiene or, or whatever, all the propylenes and ethylenes and everything else that tends to move on the smaller assets. It is Russia and Ukraine very big either in the input or the output side of, of either or any of that um, sort of specialty business? We don't have uh, we don't have uh, ships carrying uh, uh, ethane, so I would let the others talk about that. But as you understand, uh, for example, we were speaking to an ammonia trader, and the Ukrainian army has blown some of the has blown up some of the key bridges and rail hubs, which will take. They were telling us it will take at least two years to fix. So potentially the absence of these stones. May, re may reduce demand in the uh, short term, but the impact may be offset by the increased on mile demand uh, with uh, as markets in Europe and Asia can be covered to a smaller extent by the Middle East and the Caribbean. Mm. And of course, these all these uh, uh, events and destructions, of course, don't only affect ammonia, but some of the other products you mentioned uh, in, in your questions. Well, you have a situation then, Ben, when you talk about petrochemicals. So the question is, where does the feedstock come from for the production of European petrochemicals? So the guys, or the companies who've been using NAFTA, you know, they're in trouble. I mean, it'd be crazy to, to use NAFTA, particularly Russia has been a big uh, supplier of NAFTA. You know, at this price, and you don't have the feedstock, it'd be crazy to continue that. So you look then to 
across the pond to the US, you have competitively priced ethane and other derivatives. So we've seen a big pull, a switch for European interest across the whole board, including LPG, but the Morrison petrochemicals. Ethane as feedstock, whether they crack it themselves or sell it as, uh, you know, uh, injected into nut gas and sell it like that, but, but also ethylene and there will be implication of propylene. So, so this has a big ripple effect through the petrochemical supply chain. And US will be the supplier of Europe of most of these products, whether it's feedstock or derivatives, which means longer voyages. Right. Well, that's a good, that's a good segue. Thanks for that, Owen. Uh, now, talking about North America, certainly the US being the 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 primary component of that but canada is also you know, part of the discussion here um you know at this point really ha over the last i don't know 15 years the us has gone from not really involved in lpg exports at all and then also many of the other whether it's ethane or ethylene you know uh, some of the other products um to now being the dominant player and, uh, and so as we, as we look forward, uh, again, we talked a little bit, or we didn't really get to too much detail and, you know, it's not your business. So I don't expect you to know about how much nascent capacity or extra capacity is, uh, is available out of North America. But ultimately, uh, it would seem as though North America is, is well positioned to be the provider of all of those, the incremental swing provider of all of those things, maybe a little bit the Middle East as well. Um, but uh, in, in your conversations with your customers, uh, what, what are you guys hearing about potential further expansions and increases in U.S. infrastructure that will help fill the gap, as you say, and these people look to diversify away from uh, from naphtha or are just looking for a broader base of energy security or you know or, you know are using more petrochemicals and you know, all of the things that that are driving demand quite substantially here somehow or another if that's going to be met the infrastructure needs to be put into place first and so what are you guys hearing about the those developments and i don't know well, well let me <laughs> just say something um before COVID hit in 2020, the beginning of 2020, all the facilities, all the export terminals in the US were on major expansion uh, uh, projects. Uh, some of them were completed in 2020. Some of them had been completed already by 2019, 2020. Uh, and, and some of them continue, some of them were canceled to be completed later. So um, the, the, because why did they do that? Because uh, we were hitting the ceiling of their capacity uh, in the previous year, in 2019 and 2018, we were starting to see um, uh, terminals having, uh, you know, uh, 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 sending out top amounts of, uh, of product. And, they projected that, you know, in 2019, for example, the terminals exported 40 million tons uh, from the United States. The United States exported 50 million, uh, 40 million tons. And then in 2020, we exported 46 million tons. 
And then in 2021, 51 million tons. So obviously they have put in the capacity because I think their nameplate was about 45 million at, uh, at that time. They expanded enough uh, to be able to do probably now uh, nearly to um, 65%. So we think that the ability of our ter of the terminals now, not, uh, right now, the export terminal utilization is running at about 80%. So there is at least a 20% margin of utilization of the terminals uh, to go for, to, 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 to uh, support any kind of expansion. And uh, uh, so I, I, I believe that uh, we will not need any uh, uh, additional capacity uh, right now, additions to, to, to that. So I'll stop there. Maybe my colleagues can talk a little bit more about this. Yeah, I, I think maybe I can add, of course, uh, we do expect supply growth to be 5-6% both this year and next year. This year, everything will come from US. And then if you're looking at the agreements or that uh, the Biden administration is doing with the European Union, it's, it's certainly the fact that the, the Europeans now will try to be less dependent of the Russians. And uh, I really do see that this will translate into a, a lot more <laughs> drilling in the US, uh, not only LNG, but also LPG. So, so uh, I think it's fair to, to, to bet that US supply growth will just continue. It's been on a 20% CAGR since uh, 2015, and we don't really see it uh, stopping anytime soon. If I also can uh, add something, uh, it's not only the US. I think the Middle East will increase production and exports as well. But we have to have in mind also the downside risk that, uh, that uh, there might be a severe uh, GDP lowering due to the very high inf inf inflation, high commodity prices, and uh, very strict COVID-19 restrictions in uh, Asia and China in particular. But I think uh, oh, it's a shot in the arm for the US uh, midstream and uh, production sectors. So it depends on how quickly can the US turn around with uh, the drilling and so forth in the wet plates for LPG or natural gas liquids. What I don't know, I think I agree with John that the terminal capacity is there for increased export. I don't know how quickly or the status of the fractionation. So it's fine that you drill it, but do you have enough fractionation capacity today to, to produce? I don't know, but that could be a bottleneck. But if, uh, if there's a will, there's a way for, for the American mainstream companies to, to solve that. Yeah. I agree, uh, and uh, but I also agree with Harry. I think there there's macro risk that needs to be taken into account. Um, although I I, I would think that in this kind of an environment, perhaps more than in other situations or other uh, cycles, there there may be an element of. Uh, and this might just be optimistic, but it's a shipping forum, so it's the right place for it. But uh, um, the the, uh, the LPG market, maybe the energy markets in general, might be a little bit more inelastic than they otherwise would be, given the need for energy security. And um, and you know, so even if there's a slowdown, maybe even of oil consumption, uh, 
some of the other areas like like LNG and LPG might be uh, might be able to continue to see healthier um, um, demand growth. We'll see. But uh, I, I, before we get off the topic of uh, infrastructure uh, and export capacity and even fractionation capacity, a, a question did come in. Um, that ties in pretty nicely to that. Um, it's what's your view on LPG originating from South American countries and Mexico going forward? And how, how do you think about those markets as they relate to the broader LPG market? Any, any thoughts on, uh, on Latin and South America? Well, the obvious one would be Venezuela, at least for Navigator and the handy side ships. So trading in uh, Venezuela on LPG has been under OPAC restriction for a number of years. It used to be the largest customer and charter of handy size LPG ships on the coast in Venezuela. That might change in the current environment. And that will be a benefit or a boost to, to, to the industry or the segment. For, for navigated gas in terms of South America, it's more petrochemical driven and not LPG. And so I leave the I'll leave it to the rest, to the others to answer. I think with the pushback Biden got with this uh, agreement uh, or trying and uh, making an agreement with the Venezuelans, uh, I think <laughs> I think we should not hope for uh, Venezuela bouncing back anytime soon. Yeah, I think they have, uh, unfortunately for Venezuela, they have problems that uh, supersede agreements. There's a uh, to, it's from what I understand, it's a mess down there. But, um, all right, good. So now let's let's um, shift gears a little bit here, um, being mindful of time. And uh, I, I think one of the really exciting things for me covering the LPG space and uh, is is the opportunities for new trades, um, which it, it 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 doesn't really happen much, but. Uh, that you know, shipping is is a very ancient business, and most things that have been shipped have or are being shipped have been shipped for a long time. Um, but you certainly do, as we've already talked about, demand growth five five six percent just for regular LPG. Um, there are other products um, that are either developing or are similar or shipped by your companies that are not um, as uh, maybe a little bit um segmented or or in their infancy we'll start with uh with the petrochemical side again talking with um probably in this case it's mostly uh stealth and navigator who would have most of the petrochemical side but uh and and, and then we'll circle back to the uh the lpg in a second uh but you know for harry for for you guys and for Owen, uh petrochemicals are a pretty important part of the absolute mix of business that you're doing um, if, if LPG is growing at five to 6%, maybe even better than that, uh, in, in, how do you frame in some of the other um, tangential or, or associated trades and the growth in those markets? We don't, uh, our, our main also, our, our main business is LPG as well. Yeah. Obviously we carry uh, other things, other products like, uh, uh, VCM or uh, butadine or products like that. Yeah. But I would say, generally speaking, 80 to 85% of what we carry is LPG. Um, 
and obviously for us, the, the, the COVID uh, and COVID restrictions were quite negative on, on the demand side. Uh, hopefully now with COVID slowly uh, disappearing, we will hopefully see again a bigger uh, increase. Um, unfortunately, we have the war, which again, you know, uh, freezes uh, things. And on the other hand, we have the new uh, restrictions in China and in major cities in China, which again is a, is a negative. But obviously, since LPG in general is used for so many different uses, uh, we hope and we think that uh, sooner or later we're going to see again a big jump. And we, we should not forget that LPG is obviously greener uh, than oil or coal or other um, other energy energy energies that ships might carry, and therefore has also the green uh, the green element uh, in it, which should help uh, people choosing choosing it over other probably uh, available uh, more dirtier uh, energy choices. Yeah, absolutely, and, uh, and we'll we'll get to ammonia in that respect here shortly. But LPG also just even propane. Uh, is uh, being used in some of your own vessels for uh, for fuel. So uh, we'll 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 pivot to that. But may, maybe just lastly, uh, as we talk about some of the petrochemical gases and ethylene and some of that sort of thing, Oivan, uh, I know you guys are pretty big into that market. How, how do you compare that to uh, the traditional LPG market? I mean, the the petrochemical industry. Uh, is developing. <clears throat> the trade lanes are changing somewhat. I think uh, I think the world has changed over the last four weeks, and we've seen a larger pool on U.S. ethane and ethylene uh, to Europe, but also to Asia. So post uh, post the dip in February, uh, we've seen uh, March and April go from strength to strength on that particular subsegment. But now we see that those uh, virtual pipelines, we call it, to connecting America with Europe and, and Asia are strengthening. So there's a big pull on that. And that's a direct impact of everything that's happening. Uh, it's not, this is not, a, it's not a new trade, but it's being strengthened. Right. Um, which should, you know, as more, more of your vessels are being used for things like ethane and ethylene, it's, uh, taking them out, perhaps, of the uh, propane and butane markets, which increases demand for everyone else. So, should, should. Right. Um, the uh, but you know, Harry, you'd mentioned marine fuel. I don't know how many panels or how many years now we've been talking about changes in marine fuel, but certainly one of the areas that people um, they come up a lot. Uh, is, uh, or, or one of the fuels is ammonia, specifically green ammonia or blue ammonia, depending on how it's made. Um, it, that is an LPG car. As we talked about, a lot of what you guys do is, is not ammonia. I think there's, there's some of it, but, um, but in, in my mind, at least, if, uh, if a substantial portion of marine fuel in the future ends up going, be, being ammonia, and granted, it could be other things like LNG too, but um, but for our purposes here, if it is ammonia, um, how does that fit in with your strategic plans going forward? I mean, again, 
we'll, we'll maybe we'll start with uh, we haven't heard from John and uh, Oystein a little bit. You guys don't really do too much of that now, but you could, right? If if LPG and ammonia, you know, is going to be a bigger market, uh, is, is that something that you're interested in participating in, or uh, or do you have a different view? And and maybe you know that's not in the direction you want to go. John. I can jump in because oh, oh, yeah. it was a John first, maybe. No, 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 no you, you yeah. Austin. go ahead. Uh, so, of course, uh, we have, as I mentioned, we have two new dual uh, fuel LPG, so it means it can burn LPG in addition to compliant fuel. But uh, we, our next four, they are ammonia ready. So you can burn ammonia as fuel on those as well. And, and one of those four, we will also be upgrading the tanks so that you can also carry ammonia. Uh, the reason for us doing it is, of course, the fact that it's pretty cheap and simple to do these upgrades when you're building this uh, new building. So it right. has a nice optionality value. Uh, but of course, in terms of ammonia as a, a marine fuel, uh, I think you know today 99% at least of all ammonia being made is is, is black ammonia. Right. So it's, uh, it's uh, for the most part, you take a natural gas and you drive it through a very energy intensive process called the Haber-Bosch process. So you're starting with the hydrocarbons and then you're using a lot more hydrocarbons in order to end up with ammonia. So then you go, go from a non-corrosive, non-toxic feedstock and you end up with a foxic, no, toxic and corrosive feedstock after spending a lot of, of energy making it. So. So it's, <laughs> I think first you should try to, to get all the ammonia being made and it's quite substantial. Uh, first you have to green that. And once you're getting to that process that you have been able to green the current production of ammonia, then let's start talking about ammonia as a fuel uh, because it's not cheap either. So uh, it has some drawbacks compared to, to using LPG and L LNG for sure. And it's more expensive. And I do, I do think we should focus on, on, on greening the existing rather than jumping into to, to, to this as the next silver bullet because it's not really a, a silver bullet. Okay, can I add something to this? Uh, what Oystein was saying about ammonia. Um, I, I, I believe the big view is that ammonia will be used for carriage of hydrogen, not for burning or whatever. First of all, there hasn't been an engine yet to burn ammonia. Uh, it will happen at some point in the future. Uh, secondly, the engine may need fuel as a pilot. Um, so you have to deal with that and the emissions of that and the emissions of the NOx that the ammonia engine produces. So these are a lot of technical issues to overcome for an engine burning ammonia. So let's just concern ourselves perhaps with the transport of ammonia, which may be the way to transport hydrogen, which may be a lot cleaner to burn. And then um, I think most of the ships can carry ammonia, even our ships can carry ammonia can be converted to carry ammonia. Okay, we cannot carry a full tank, maybe uh, not 100% or 98% as we normally load for LPG, but we can load probably 80 to 85%. It's just a matter of the weight of the product. Um, the temperature can be carried at 38 uh, minus, uh, which is very well within the limits of our ships, uh, the existing ships. So it's not a big issue to do that. Uh, the issue is the danger of the, the chemical, 
the protection, the additional bits and pieces that you need to put on a ship to be able to carry ammonia, which are not significant. It can be converted easily uh, to carry ammonia. So that's that's a technical side of, of that. But as Rusty said, I mean, you know, to produce ammonia, just to say that we're going to be doing ammonia is, uh, you know, uh, especially gray ammonia is, is, is not going to happen. And I think green is going to cost a lot of money until probably much later in this decade. So we should figure ways to improve our emissions, not by just talking about fairy tales, but about actual you know, things that we can do to improve our, our vessel's performance and reduce the greenhouse gas footprint. Uh, I may, maybe just want to add one more thing because I'm coming from the LNG industry where we talk a lot about methane slip. We, <laughs> you, exactly. you can't almost go to a, a meeting without talking about methane slip. So methane is like 28 times worse than CO2 emissions. That's why we have a gas combustion unit in our funnel to, to burn the methane to, right. to rather emit CO2. But if you are burning ammonia, then you can have ammonia slip. So mm. methane 28 times worse. This is almost 300 times worse than CO2 uh, and so if you're not burning that then if you're renting it you have nitrous oxide emission and this is laughing gas so these are extremely potent and much more potent than CO2 and methane so we haven't really solved that uh, question whether you can avoid this uh, emissions entirely because if you're just having a small part I mean, ammonia slip, then you are ruining the whole calculation. Great. Well, and then lastly, for as we're talking about sort of new or emergent um, themes or businesses, something that is very emergent and maybe a brand new cargo that has never been carried, at least uh, very commercially in the past, is, uh, is CO2. We were talking about cleaning up the existing ammonia stream. Well, how would you do that by um, ca capturing the carbon, right? Um, uh, you would do that. You could potentially do the same thing with, you know, all, all sorts of other areas of carbon capture. But what are you going to do with it then, um, or with all the CO two that's captured? And so there, I know that there's been a number of uh, companies, including I know um, Navigator has been working on CO two uh, shipping um, to move it to other places and other regions. Uh, I'll start, I guess, with you, even since you guys are pretty involved in it. How, how should you frame this in for people? It's, it doesn't exist today, but given that you guys are investing in it, how do you think 10 years from now the CO2 shipping business will look? And, and is it going to be LPG companies generally that are involved in it, or, uh, or is it just a very small niche market? Or uh, I don't know. How, for, for somebody that's spending money on it, how do you think? of, uh, of CO2. It's infancy, so I will quote you, Ben. You aptly put it, uh, navigator becoming an, a, a very expensive garbage man. So it is, it is very expensive today. Will it be cheaper in the future, who knows? But that their interest in for shipping companies to be part of that uh, logistic chain for carbon capture storage and rejection Absolutely. But again, like anything, innovation, pioneering work, it takes time. And this is not going to be a big thing tomorrow. Maybe it will be. I don't know. But there are projects out there that you can participate 
because remember CO2 is a, is a, is transported as a liquid gas so any you know it should be our competence to to know to have the wherewithal with with that but again you know 2030 yes maybe you have more than one ship one ship is being built today but anyhow it's, it's, it has potential it's good no order book the, you know the, that's a shipping segment you like ben <laughs> Speaking of which, uh, <laughs> let's talk a little bit about the order book. There, there is an order book in uh, in LPG shipping, or at least in parts of LPG shipping. Uh, if you look at the VLGCs and uh, in, in some of the medium-sized carriers, it's a little bit north of 20%. We were just talking about demand growing 5 to 6%. How nervous does it make you if your order book is on a gross basis, let's call it, you know, that's delivered over two years. So 10% per year gross fleet growth against 5%, um, 5 to 6% demand growth. Uh, and, and any thoughts? And, and Harry, we'll come to you in a second because yeah, I know the, the smaller vessels have a uh, uh, completely different story, but, yeah. but quickly on the big ones. Yeah, I think on the big ones, it's 20% uh, order book or 66 ships last time I checked, but there's also 15% of the ships being older than 20 years. Uh, and we have this new regulation coming into force next year, EXXI, carbon intensity indicator, and fuel prices are very high the, these days. So the more efficient ships are, you know, I think the fuel prices is going to do as much as the EXXI to get rid of, of older ships. Um, uh, but you know, we do have to admit that it's a bit lumpy. So this year it's it's okay. Uh, next year's a lot of ships, but with where new buildings prices are going the, this year, you know, the, the order book for 24 is like five ships. And, uh, and, and with the capacity being taken at the big yards for container ship and LNG ships, I don't, and prices going up quite a lot. So we built, New buildings are to below 80. The new building prices today are above 90, even uh, people talking in uh, the mid 90s. So, so new building prices are up, which is going to disincentivize ordering of these ships. So, uh, yeah, next year is quite a few ships, but I, you know, longer term, if you're looking at, let's say, 22, 23, 24, 25, and then looking at the fleet composition and fuel prices and EXXI, I'm, I'm not too worried. I'm, I'm, I'm where Austin is, uh, more or less. Uh, I, I think that, uh, you know, um, the, 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 there's going to be a slowdown uh, of uh, most of the uh, existing fleet with the 2023 regulations. Uh, so um, we will see um, uh, ships going slower to uh, comply with the regulations to reduce emissions uh, to reduce uh, their uh, greenhouse gases. So um, I, I think that will be the first, uh, if you like, uh, uh, obstacle or uh, to, to, to overcome. And then every year from uh, 2023 onwards, uh, ships need to improve their um, uh, carbon index, their CII, by reducing at a certain percentage, uh, which has already been decided by IMO, uh, so we, we're going to be seeing um, uh, these older ships uh, uh, either uh, going away uh, as because they're too old and they will not do any work on these ships, or the younger ships, the echo ships, are going to stay on 
and improve with uh, various uh, uh, devices, uh, improvements, um, carbon capture, uh, all kinds of uh, uh, additional fittings that will improve their profile for uh, greenhouse gases. So I, I, I believe, you know, we, we need to do a lot of work uh, on our ships to uh, make them uh, greener. And uh, I am uh, disappointed that the shipyards have not done a lot more uh, up to date. Uh, they should have done a lot more rather than just, just producing a dual fuel engine. They should have done a lot more. So that's what I think. So we're running out of time, Harry. The, the smaller, the pressurized and smaller semi uh, refrigerated vessels, the order book is de minimis, right? Almost nothing. Has been for a long time. Usually a, a order book that has nothing on order in a market that's growing is really strong landscape for protracted um, returns, a, a good return. Uh, it, it's been okay, but it, it hasn't been protracted good returns. How, how do you sort of think through the supply side of the supply and demand market for the smaller vessels? And we're running out of time, but I, I wanted to make sure it's an important question for you. I'll be quick. Um, uh, indeed, the order book is small in combination with a really old fleet, which in shipping, that's, you know, the magic recipe. Of course, the rates were in very, very good shape just before COVID uh, hit. Then we had approximately the two years of COVID where obviously rates were okay, but nothing exciting. But recently, the last Two months maybe we have seen uh, uh, quite firm rates, um, especially as, as we're heading towards spring. Um, and we hope that without uh, new COVID headaches and new variants, that we, this will lead to, to at least a 10 to 20% uh, increase on the uh, day rates of uh, pressurized ships. Great. Well, we are a little over time. Uh, let me let me get my favorite question that I've been asking for, I don't know, 15 years or a long time. Uh, I give you, because uh, I'm a benevolent, nice guy, $100 million. Uh, what do you do with $100 million uh, in, in, in the context of your company today? We'll, uh, we'll start in reverse order. Oyvind, $100 million, where's it go? Infrastructure connecting our fleet. Infrastructure, Harry, $100 million, what do you do with it? I would invest in my second US listed company that has gone up by, and don't laugh, 1,400% in the last two months. Okay, there we go. Uh, uh, Oystein, 100 million. We recently sold two ships and released $45 million. So we have enough cash. So I'll probably pay some more dividends then. <laughs> All, right. All right, John. Last word. Improve the um, uh, viability of the ships to trade into 2040. There we go. Perfect, thank you. And Nicholas, I, I, I know I'm over time, sorry, but uh, I appreciate you uh, bearing with me there, so. No, it was perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Ben. Thank you, uh, John, Oyvind, Harry, and Oystein. Great panel uh, as expected. So thank you, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
Thank you. Bye.